Let's look in Isaiah chapter 64 tonight. Isaiah chapter 64, a message I simply call stirred up. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself. There it is. To take hold of thee. There's none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. But thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. I got this passage on my heart where Isaiah the prophet was lamenting the fact that there was none in Israel who were stirring themselves up. To take hold of God. Now, that was not to say that people weren't getting stirred up. But that there was none who were stirring up themselves to take hold of God. The word itself is uh, not unfamiliar to us. It has an, in it the idea of wakening or arousing oneself out of sleep. Some of us jump out of bed in the morning or at least appear to, some of us kind of roll our way out and drag ourselves protesting. Uh, I'm not bragging or anything. It's just a simple kind of story. You know, some people have like three alarms set on their phone. And some people never hear their alarm go off. Uh, Not naming any names, I'm just saying We all have our different ways of getting awakened. Uh, And so this idea of stirring ourselves up, uh, arousing, waking ourselves out of sleep. In this context, though, it refers to people who were devoting themselves to something. Who saw a task that was worthy of their attention. And so they got stirred up about it. They got excited, enthused about it. They embraced it then. What he was calling them to do was to take hold of God. The word means to strengthen, to take hold of something that we would hold on to rely then for strength, to hold us up, to grab a hold of something when we're feeling unsteady. And so here was a nation in the midst of a, of a trying situation. He pictured them as being unclean. So polluted that even their deeds of righteousness were made filthy or unclean. And that, that language, of course, had very important connotations within the Old Testament economy. Something that was unclean, something that was unpol- or, or polluted, uh, something that was unfit, something that was rejected. So here were their righteous acts. We're talking about they're going to church. We're talking about they're giving their tithes. We're talking about they're making their offerings. We're talking about uh, their singing of their songs. There's nothing that we would see in all of that that looked unclean. But Isaiah said that that was the case. You see, sometimes our bad attitude can make even our good works bad. 
Sometimes our bad motives can make even the best things that we do be bad. And so while man, as we are inclined to do, and in fact that's all we can do is look at the outward appearance. You see, God is always looking at the heart. Uh, Not just what we do, but why we do it. For what motive? And here was a people that were so unclean and so polluted then before God that even their acts of righteousness were made unclean. He goes on then to picture them as a fading, dried up leaf. It's about to be blown away by the wind. I mean, you can see those leaves that are uh, tittering in the fall wind. Uh, They're dead. uh, They're dried. They're just hanging on maybe by a little thread. And we know that one day we're going to get up and it's going to all be gone. Maple trees have always fascinated me. Uh, When we lived in Branson for a number of years, it was a cemetery of all things out east of town on old Highway 76, it was full of those maple trees that turned bright red in the fall. Beautiful. Oh, it was such a beautiful sight for about three days. And you'd get up one, I mean, one day you'd go by and they were just full of color and beautiful. And the next day you'd go by and all those leaves were on the ground. And somebody had a lot of work to do. All it took was a wind, a little rainstorm. It's all gone. That's what... Isaiah is saying about the people, he said, we're, we're dried up like the leaves and we're about to be taken away by the wind. There's no vitality and there's nothing left to hold us together. This is a dire situation, he describes. People who've become unclean. It, that wasn't that they were, they'd quit serving God. They, they were still serving the Lord, but it was that even their deeds of righteousness had become polluted by their bad motives and their bad attitude by their sin. Hmm. And in the midst of all that, there's the amazing thing. Nobody was stirring themselves up to take hold of God. You and I know tonight that a nation of people in that situation are in need of what only God can do. They're in need of that sovereign work of God that we call revival. Wilt thou not revive us again, O God, that your people might rejoice in thee? That was the cry of the psalmist. But nobody's crying that in Isaiah's day. With everything that was going on, everybody stirred up about a lot of things, but no one stirred themselves up to take hold of God. So I thought then upon these things this week and prepared for this message, I began to look around at the times in the scripture where there are references to people who were stirred up. Other times where God would speak of people being stirred up or stirring themselves up. And it was interesting to me that all of the references in the Bible really fell under two headings. Uh, and that make, it makes sense to us. There were people who were stirred up in a bad way or they were stirred up in a good way. 
they could have been stirred up in a good way in our text. I mean, that would have been a wonderful thing had people stirred themselves up. I mean, just got excited about the prospect of repenting of their sins and calling out to God and embracing Him and turning to Him and clinging to Him and calling on Him for revival so that they might have strength and joy. What a wonderful stirring up that would have been. But it didn't happen. Then there were other times. <laughs> One of the classic passages that, about this was in the story of Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, just as an interesting aside, you know, I mentioned this week that I was looking at some YouTube uh, messages and listening to some sermons on YouTube. And one of the ones I listened to was from a guy who was pointing out uh, this interesting correlation that he found between uh, Ahab and Jezebel and Jehu, the king who was raised up in their place, and Donald Trump. I, I kid you not, this was a, a YouTube video about uh, Donald Trump. And I found out that uh, Ahab, according to him, represented Bill Clinton. That's what he said. You think I'm making this up? I'm not. Jezebel represented Hillary Clinton. Jehu was Trump. Now, all the time this guy's talking, I'm sitting there thinking, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, Ahab died in battle, and the dogs licked his blood in Naboth's vineyard, according to the word of the Lord. Jehu threw Jezebel off the roof of her own palace, and her body burst open, and the dogs ate her, except for her head, her hands, and her feet. And last time I looked, Bill and Hillary are still alive. So I think his correlation breaks down. However, he did have a bestseller a few couple of years back. Made millions of dollars, sold millions of copies. I'm not making that up. That, that really happened. Uh, that was, I didn't intend to say that. It just slipped out. <laughs> the classic part about Ahab and Jezebel, that's why I brought it up, was God said this about Ahab. There was none like unto Ahab who sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. That's 1 Kings 21, 25. Uh, Jezebel was a daughter of Ethbaal. And uh, you've heard of people that could start a fight in an empty room. That was Jezebel. She could stir up more mess and a dozen people could clean up. She was an evil woman. She stirred her husband. Her, her husband had a problem. She didn't cause his problem. He had his problem before Jezebel ever came on the scene. But Jezebel made it worse. She stirred him up. She stirred him up. So a lot of things are, and a lot of people are being stirred up to wickedness. But we can also be stirred up to righteousness. And we want to talk about those two tonight. We'll start out in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. I'm just going to give you a, a scattershot of these passages of Scripture. Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 28, 25. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Amen. <laughs> Amen. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in 
transgression. Uh, those are just a few. There were many, many more. You can look them up for yourself if you want to do a search in your Bible program. Uh, so when the Bible speaks of, of stirring up in a bad way, though it is almost always connected with stirring up strife or contention or what the Bible calls discord, discord, musical term, discordant, discord. You know what it is when uh, there's a beautiful melody that's being played. It sounds so pleasing. But then some little kid who doesn't know anything says, let me show you how I'm going to play the piano. And it is bang, 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 bang. My, that's discord. And we can't think of strife and discord as just a natural part of life. Well, it's going to go on. It's going to happen. There's always, always been there. Nothing you can do about it. Uh, but, you know, we need to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Because there God gives a list of seven things. Six things that God hates. And the seventh one, he says, is an abomination to him. That means he hates it a whole lot. Now let me just say this about God's hatred. If God hates something, it is a righteous hatred. Okay? And that should tell us something. Because I'm going to talk about hatred in just a few moments. But... Uh, Let's understand that if God hates something, it is a righteous hatred. God hates, what are they? A proud look. Number one on the list is pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks or testifies lies. And the seventh one that the proverb writer says is an abomination unto God. That means he hates it a whole lot. He that sows discord among brethren. He that stirs up strife. So this is something that God hates really, really badly. And because of that, we can't just say, well, you know, it's just going to happen. Well, you know, that's just how people are. Well, we're Baptist. You know how Baptists are. Yeah, I know how Baptists are. I've been one my whole life. I know. But every now and then, Baptists need to take a long look at these seven things God hates. And the seventh one that he hates a whole lot is that person that just delights in stirring up trouble. James chapter 4 and verse 1, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So if strife and division, if contention and discord especially as it relates to God's people, is, is a really bad thing, and, and people are, are stirred up to that, then we might well ask tonight and spend our time looking then at what the Bible says. What is it that is used to stir up this discord? 
And the first thing that we saw was hatred. Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Now, hatred's a word that we hear a lot and we even use a lot. And, uh, but as I hear it used in popular culture these days, I have to wonder whether people have any idea what hatred really even means. It's hard to define. Modern psychology defines it as a deep, enduring, intense emotion of dislike. Coupled with the desire to demean to do harm to or even destroy another person. That's hatred. I'm going to read that again. A deep, enduring, intense emotion of dislike coupled with the desire to demean, do harm to, or even destroy. Now this is how hatred shows up in our life. And I've tried to define it that way just to contrast it with the righteous hatred that we talked about that's coming from God. God... God, you'll see, hates the conduct, the things that are done. We say it almost as a euphemism these days. Well, you know, God hates sin, uh, but He loves the sinner. But the fact is, that's true. That is true. And we see that those seven things that God hates are all those evil things that people do. When we just describe our hatred, then it's, it's often spoken of and almost always spoken of in reference to other people. And as Christians, we're fond of saying, well, I don't hate anybody. But then we'll also say, well, you know, there's a few folks I dislike a whole, whole bunch. <laughs> well, let's look at that definition of hatred, an intense feeling of dislike. Yeah. So when we're saying, I don't hate anybody, but there's some people out there I don't like at all. I don't like them a whole bunch. And we're really just kidding ourselves. Um, we may not want to hurt the people that we're feeling. We may not have taken it that level, to that level. But those feelings do, in fact, cause us to stir up strife. Why? How do, how do we know that to be true? Because the Bible says it. Hatred stirs up strife. And you and I know how it plays out. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here tonight. I don't have to. We know this game. We know it from both sides. Uh, we don't like somebody. Guess what? That person can't do anything right. Is that the truth? Nothing they do pleases us. Everything they do, we're suspicious of it. Well, they've got some motive. They're only doing that for blah, 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 whatever. We, hatred causes us to look at another person and, and they can't do anything that we can look at and say, that was a good thing. Since I mentioned President Trump earlier, I'll mention him again tonight. Uh, not that I'm a big fan, but folk, you know, just like I know, that there were people in this country that hated him so much that they could never ever admit that he did anything right and there were some things that he did that were right but that's just an example I'm not meddling into politics tonight it's just an example we see that in our own life there are people in your life that for whatever reason they have drawn a wet, driven a wedge between themselves and you you didn't drive it, they did. 
And now there's nothing that you can do that pleases that person. That's why I'm glad that when the Apostle Paul talked about this, he talked about as much as lieth within you, live peaceably among all men. As much as lieth, that is as much as you can do. You do your part to do what is right. You can't control what other people are doing. You say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. They're going to complain about it. Do what's right anyway. When we love our enemies, when we show them the blessings and favor of God, the Bible tells us we heap coals of fire on their head. <laughs> That's better than a punch in the nose. <laughs> hey, it's the truth. Hatred stirs up strife, and we know how it does. The second one was wrath. Wrath. Uh, Proverbs 15, 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife. This refers to a settled hostility or a seething anger that is allowed to fester in the heart. It's designed, anger was designed by God. Listen, God designed us, created us with the ability to get angry. You know why that is? Because we need it sometimes. I've said many times, if a criminal busts down the door of your house, Ladies, in the middle of the night, you want your husband to be able to respond with anger. Okay? And that anger is going to come and he's going to respond in that because God has given us that flight or fight reaction coupled with adrenaline and all that it brings to us. But listen, that anger is designed to be a fleeting emotion, something that we experience, we deal with it, and then we leave it behind. That's why the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. <laughs> and then the part of the Bible that we ignore, and by we I mean me, we and I ignore probably as much as any other passage in the Bible. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger is not a sin. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Anger itself is not a sin. But we can sin in anger. And we can do things when we're mad that we wouldn't do it any other time. That's why the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. But then don't hang on to that. Because if you do, then you sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. When anger is allowed to fester inside of us, it is eventually going to express itself. And you and I know that unfortunately we don't always blow up on the one that we're angry with or even blow up about the things that we're angry about. Seldom do we ever deal with what got us upset in the first place. This is how then wrath works to stir up strife because the wrong person gets blasted at the wrong time for no reason. And now you had one mad person, now you got two or twenty. angry person, a wrathful person, stirs up strife. The third one that the Proverbs mentioned for us was pride. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. He that is of a proud heart. Pride enters the picture to stir up strife in a variety of ways, but for the most part it is pride that keeps us from seeking reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pride keeps us from forgiving wrongs. Pride keeps us from apologizing when we've done wrong. 
pride keeps pumping up those feelings of animosity. Pride fuels our feelings of being wronged. Pride separates us from the grace of God that can help us get past this. Because the Bible says, James 4 and 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as long as pride is filling us, God's grace isn't. He gives grace to the humble. Turn this trilogy loose in a church. Hatred, wrath, and pride. And you'll be amazed how much strife can be stirred up, how quickly it can be stirred up, and how long it can last. And how much damage it can do to how many people. And when this thing kind of gets stirred up around God's people, just remember, it's the young and the weak who are going to suffer the most. So, there's a bad way to get stirred up, and the Bible even tells us then what stirs it up. Hatred and wrath and pride. But if that's true, and it is true, there's something bad to be warned against, then... Let's look at some passages then that bring us to the good side of stirring up. 2 Timothy 1 and 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul would say to his young protege preacher, Timothy, stir up famous, famous admonitions, stir up the gift of God. The words and language that Paul used in this passage is one that we would use like when we go and poke the coals of a fire. And it may seem, as you well know, that that fire is dead. There's nothing there. You may feel it, and you may not feel any heat. But if you get to poking around there, you're not going to poke down very far until you turn over a coal or two, and it won't be long before that fire starts burning. And I look at some of y'all shivering tonight, and that fire sounds good, doesn't it? Fire sounds good. It's going to be all right. <clears throat> Stir up. You see, sometimes, listen tonight, sometimes the flames of our spiritual passion burn very low. Our desire for God gets crowded out, pushed out, covered up. We can find ourselves quicker than we can ever imagine, like the people of Isaiah's day, where we're like those leaves that are blown up and ready to, dried up and ready to be blown away. We don't even know it. Because if we knew how bad things were, we'd be stirring ourselves up to lay hold on the Lord. And the very fact that Paul would tell Timothy that he needed to stir up the gift that was put in him probably indicated that Timothy maybe didn't realize that he needed to stir up the gift. So what did Paul call him to do? Remember. Remember. 2 Peter 1.13 Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in 
remembrance. 2 Peter 3 and 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Nothing stirs us up spiritually like remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. We close our eyes and we think for a moment about that hill called Calvary. We think of the time when the sky went black. And through the noonday, it was dark as midnight. We hear the anguished cry in the darkness as Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, Lamach, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Scream. He cried with a loud voice. He screamed aloud. He died. The soldiers charged with his execution went there and made sure he was dead. They were going to break his legs as they did the other two who were crucified with him. Once they broke their leg, of course, they wouldn't be able to push themselves up so they could breathe and would hasten their death and lead to their suffocation. Jesus was already dead. Just to make sure, he took a spear and thrust it in his side and blood and water came out. Some doctors who have studied that have actually suggested, I can't prove it, but they can make a compelling case that Jesus' heart had actually burst from the stress. We think about that. We think about our Savior dying from a broken heart. We think about Him dying for my sin, for your sins. We think about the incredible price that was paid for our redemption. We remember where we were, how lost we were. We remember how separated from God that we were. And that's one of the great challenges of life as we grow older, is it's been so long since we were saved that we can almost forget what it was like to be lost. We remember, we remember that awful feeling of conviction when we were burdened down by the weight of our sin and the Holy Spirit was convicting us. You're lost. You're headed for hell. And we knew it was true. And we felt the fear and the anxiety and the worry and maybe even a little anger thrown in there as well as we tried to argue the unarguable case. I'm not that bad. But you know, aren't you glad tonight the Holy Spirit won that battle? (laughs) And He convicted you of your sin. And you knew you needed a Savior. And in that moment, you called out on the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, the joy then that flooded your soul. The joy of sins forgiven. The assurance that came of your salvation. 
precious power of the Holy Spirit that you'd never felt before, but it infused your life. And he's been there ever since, keeping his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are times when we need to remember. And it is those times of remembrance then that show up in us to renew our excitement and enthusiasm. And this is why that I brought this message to you tonight. I didn't bring this message because Faith Baptist is having a church squabble. If we are, I don't know about it. And I guarantee you if we was having a church squabble, I'd know about it. I didn't bring this message to you for that. It's, it's, it's in the scriptures. I'm going to preach it to you because we need to remember about it and know about it. But I, I'm bringing this to you because I do think that maybe we need to renew our excitement and enthusiasm for the things of God. Maybe like Timothy, we've let the fires of our excitement and our devotion burn low. <laughs> and I'm here to remind you tonight, and all of you watching who may be watching from home, I'm here to remind you too, we've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> God's not through with us yet. The pandemic didn't even hardly slow us down, and that's behind us for the most part. Hey, there's a, there's a world out there to win. Jesus Christ is coming soon. The time is short. This ain't no time. For us to be saying, I'm too tired to go on. We need to renew our excitement and enthusiasm for the things of God. And I want to show you a couple of things tonight. First of all, there's a personal side of this, a personal responsibility. Isaiah spoke of people who stirred themselves up to lay hold on God. If Isaiah's preaching could have stirred them up, it would have done it. How would you like to listen to Isaiah preach? Huh? I would. <laughs> I've looked for him on YouTube. He isn't there. <laughs> I'd love to hear Isaiah preach. But Isaiah's preaching didn't stir him up. Paul told Timothy, you stir up the gift that is in you. Isaiah said, it's time for you to stir up yourselves. There's no other way to say it. There's a certain amount of stirring up that we have to do. We know what it's like in the natural realm. And I want to give you some examples that we can perhaps identify with. It is the excitement that students and teachers feel on the first day of school. Maybe for the whole first week. But by about Friday and certainly by the next Monday, they are in need of stirring up their enthusiasm because their excitement and enthusiasm quickly wanes. Uh, most of us have, uh, some of you are still in the child raising business, but both, most of us here tonight have raised our kids, but you remember what it's like to pull up to school, drop them little kids off on the first day of school. I cried five times taking them kids to kindergarten when I went. I didn't let them see it. They just went bebopping away, just all happy, swinging them little old lunch bags, and they're so excited. But it's not a week. I don't want to go. Yeah, you know how that is. It's the excitement of an athlete at the start of practices of a new season. When a new season's getting going and, and he's all excited. I might make the team this year. I might get some playing time. Might get off the bench. He's excited. He's going and working hard. But it isn't long before he needs to stir himself up to keep going and keep working. 
about that 798th uh, line drill. And, <laughs> oh, man, you need some stirring up. It's the excitement of a music student. Starts out taking lessons, gets that new instrument, and can't wait to play it. Oh, my, my mother spent a lot of money on piano lessons. She did. I was determined for a while to play the piano because she was determined for me to play the piano. Uh, but in the end, folk, I just could not get any enthusiasm for practicing. That's all it was. I'd go to my music teacher every week. She'd say the same thing. Richard, have you done any practicing this week? Well, no, not much. No. I wanted to play the piano. I just didn't want to have to practice. If I would have been a prodigy and just could have picked it up and played, I would have been, I'd be playing today. Very few prodigies. Most people who are going to learn to play an instrument are going to have to learn it. And you know what it's like if you've ever tried it to get that instrument, decide to play it. But then after a while, your enthusiasm wanes. I could give you a lot more. It's the farmer who's excited on the first day of plowing up the fields. But it isn't long before he has to stir himself up to get going. It's the businessman who has to keep his business going. It's uh, the person working a job who was once excited and enthused about it. But after a while, he needs to stir that up. There's times then when our enthusiasm is low and gone. Obligation will keep us going only so long. And then we're going to have to stir ourselves up. Sometimes we may have to have a talk with ourselves about how blessed we are to have a job. Might have to have a talk with ourselves about how blessed we are to have a business. We know what it's like. Obligation will get us so far, but only so far. Sooner or later, then, we have to stir it up. And that's nowhere more evident than in our spiritual lives. When our enthusiasm for God and the things of God is waning or gone, it's time for us to stir ourselves up. Because let me tell you something, life without the blessings of God is no fun at all. We need God's blessings. Any coach, any teacher, any employer can tell you there is little that can be done for a person who has lost their enthusiasm for the task at hand to the point that they are no longer willing to try. They're no longer willing to try. What can you do for that person? They've got to stir themselves up. But if there's a personal responsibility, we also see a pastoral responsibility. Paul reminded Timothy of what he probably didn't want to be reminded of. Simon Peter twice said, I'm writing to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. The command to remember is found all over the New Testament. In fact, Jesus gave us a whole ordinance with the command, this do in remembrance of me. Like we talked about this morning, you see, it's not always the new things that give us the excitement and enthusiasm we need. Over and over again, the Bible calls on us to remember. 
And part of my role as a pastor then is not just to come up here and impress you with some new nugget of things that I've dug out somewhere, like I talked about this morning, but to tell you the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I've told you before about talking with a pastor friend of mine, uh, how we were talking about going to a conference where they were talking about church growth, how to build a Sunday school. And I asked this pastor friend of mine if he was going to go, and he said no. And I said, why not? He said, because I already know how to do more than I'm doing. That's what he said. I've identified with that after all these years. I've, said, I've quoted him a lot of times without ever calling his name, and I never will. Though he's in glory today. I already know how to do more than what I'm doing. You know what? That is the characteristic of almost all of us. Us. It is building tonight. If we can look at ourselves and find out and say honestly of ourselves, I know what to do for God. I know how to do it. I know what God wants me to do. But I'm not doing it. Then what do we need? We need motivation. We need inspiration more than we need information. We don't need to be told a whole bunch of other stuff to do when we're not doing what we already know to do. When we find ourselves in that situation, it means our excitement has waned, our enthusiasm has gone, the thrill of serving Jesus has left us. What do we need? We need to remember. We need to remember what Jesus Christ does for us. We need to remember the joy of serving Him. We need to stir that up within us. It is a gift, a gift, a precious gift to serve Jesus. God help us to stir it up. Let's stand together, please.